Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. Big one for you today. You might have heard something somewhere about a significant year for the Olympic movement. The Tokyo 2020 Games are approaching. They're expected to happen in some compromised form without international spectators and with a range of other COVID safety measures in place. 12 months after they were first suspended in historic fashion due to the global pandemic. That's all come at a fascinating point in the wider development of the Olympics with a run of high-profile hosts lined up, new sports coming in, questions about the changing influence of athletes and wider trends in the sports industry inspiring speculation about the role of the movement and the future shape of the main event. It all leaves a lot to talk about with the man who oversees the Olympic commercial project. Timo Lume is the highly experienced managing director of television and marketing services at the International Olympic Committee. I spoke to Timo a couple of weeks ago about balancing the short-term upheaval of COVID and of managing the differing pressures of Tokyo 2020 and a politically charged Beijing 2022 with long-term strategic goals. Timo discusses the regeneration of the IOC's elite-level top sponsorship programme, building flexibility into multi-billion dollar Olympic broadcast deals as partners update their own models, rethinking media priorities to meet the needs of a younger audience, and the role on-demand services like Amazon and Netflix might play alongside the Olympic Channel in showcasing original storytelling that carries the Olympic message from flame to flame. Plenty ahead then, so I won't keep you too much longer. Just a quick note to say that this interview also features in issue 113 of Sports Pro Magazine, which contains our annual look at the business of federations and destinations. That's being prepped this week for the printers, so you should be able to get hold of a copy in either physical or digital form sometime before the middle of April. As always, loads to get your teeth into with so much to consider around governance, funding and commercial models and what it's going to take to get live events back up and running over the next year or so. Keep them peeled for that or head to the shop at sportspromedia.com to subscribe. Heads up as well for Sports Pro Live, our next virtual event on the 28th and 29th of April. There is an outstanding collection of speakers coming together and some very cool formats and concepts planned. Uh, you'll find the latest on that at sportsprolive.com. We've got some Olympic matters lined up there as well, but that's as part of a wide and exciting range of topics across the future of the sports business. Sportsprolive.com, again, to find out more and to register, you will not regret it. Okay, as mentioned, tons to cover with Timo Lume of the IOC, so let's get to that now. Print, digital, events, podcasts, Sports Pro. Timo Lume, Managing Director of Television and Marketing Services at the International Olympic Committee. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Well, thanks very much. Uh, good to good to hear you. Good to see you, Owen. Good to see you too. Um, lots to get through. Obviously, there's uh, there's Tokyo 2020, but I think the the kind of the main focus of the conversation is going to be a little bit longer term when it comes to the IOC commercial project. 
But just to start us off, I mean, this is not a year like any of the other ones that you've had in in the 15 or so that you've, you've been with the IOC. But what would you normally be doing at this time? Like take out of the fact that it's an Olympic year that we didn't expect. If it was the year between Olympics, is there, you know, do you, do you have pages in a master planner that are already filled out? Do you, would you, what, what work would, uh, would normally be occupying you right now? Well, there's a, there's a sort of a good question, by the way, but uh, there's a quaint notion that um, in our world, we, uh, we basically take uh, three years off and then the games are uh, in the fourth year. Obviously, these days they're every two, two years, but n- nonetheless, people think the rest of the time we're on the beach. I think the way to look at it is like any other sort of a job, we're full on in terms of, uh, in our case, doing deals, prospecting deals, servicing, finalizing deals, servicing deals, obviously everything that goes on in an organization as the the sort of marketing commercial uh, um, you know, service within that organization and indeed to a wider set of uh, uh, stakeholders. So the activity is full on and it just happens just to make life a little bit more interesting that every two years we have this little event called the Olympic Games or Olympic Winter Games, which then if you overlay that on top of you know, our, our lives is a you know, quite a large uh, piece of uh, project management, if you like. Yeah, I mean, that kind of gets to where I wanted to go later, really, in terms of what kind of organization the IOC is when it comes to, to the commercial stuff. And elephant in the room is, is Tokyo 2020 and the, uh, the adaptations that you've had to make. What's the last year been like as far as that goes? Interesting. I've certainly worn uh, tracksuit bottoms a lot more than I have in the rest of my life <laughs> combined. It's obviously it's been look. I mean, it's use any word you want, unprecedented. Uh, but but the reality is is that um, to an extent you can say we've made it up as we went along. But it's not. It's a bit more structured than that. But really, when we got to the postponement decision uh, after that, there was the, the first few months were really focused with our, our partners in 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 Japan. So, you know, the, the organizing committee, but also the government authorities to look at, to make sure that we, we could, we were able to organize the games 12 months later. So it's the banal stuff of making sure that people's uh, employment contracts and the organizing committee, that the venues were available, all the rental uh, stuff, the Olympic Village, which was due to be sold off as condos or apartments, all those things that they were available. So just all of that took us through really... Um, I think September, and then after that, we really started the uh, the heavy lifting on what you might call broadly COVID countermeasures, or put it another way, to be able to to set out the, um, if you like the um, the all the measures countermeasures that would be required in order to be able to to um, to stage the games uh, safely and securely, and so that work has been if you like a sort of fast moving conveyor belt that we're on. And um, obviously, there's a lot of milestones in that in terms of decisions um, uh, that that need to be taken. But ultimately, it's being able to deliver the games. I mean, beyond that, particularly for us, uh, for me and my team, we've had to look at all the uh, commercial agreements. So all the broadcast agreements, all the sponsorship agreements, all the um, license agreements, not just the ones that we control. So it tends to be the you know the global agreements, but also the uh, the local ones um, uh, entered into by the um, 
the the Tokyo Organizing Committee. And so we've had to re, uh, if you like, shift the whole marketing superstructure, which in our world runs from in four-year periods and ends in the year of a summer game, so should have ended in in 2020. So we had to um, extend some sponsors' rights, extend the period of uh, of activation. Uh, obviously, we've had some uh, issues of overlap with new sponsors coming. So all of that needed to be managed, and that's an that's an uh, ongoing thing um, as as we as we get close to the games. So plenty to keep us uh, busy. Yeah, I can imagine. You, you mentioned that you were improvising a bit. How much contingency was there built into those into the commercial contracts, into the hosting contract with uh, with Tokyo, and into the IOC? the operations manual for want of a better expression how how much was in place as contingency for a suspension or a postponement and and how much were you kind of uh working on the fly because obviously they're they're even allowing for the fact that it's it's had to be postponed there are unique conditions um in terms of how yeah how it's affected the way you work well look i mean you know if you look at the back end of of, of the um the various commercial contracts. There's there's provisions for cancellation, for postponement, for for various um, uh, contingencies. So we've worked around those. But in in the context of the games, you don't enter a games with a view that ah oh, well we may need to postpone. So all of that was 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 effectively new. Mm. All the sort of all the organisational stuff, which as I said was was kind of a six month. Um, uh, gig, you know, from postponement right through to 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 early autumn, and then um, and then really working on the uh, you know on the safety and security side. So um, I, I I can't say to you that there was a manual that existed. I mean, you've probably seen that we've come out of with um, what we're calling playbooks, which are re- really the framework within which each stakeholder group, as we call it, a client group that goes to the games, uh, has to has to uh, behave and act. And all of those, as you can imagine. Uh, weren't even a twinkle in our eye, uh, you know, going back, uh, you know, uh, in, into the pre-COVID era. Yeah. Through through that process, you will have an understanding, a shared understanding with your partners of, of what an Olympic partnership is worth and, and which bits of it are most valuable. So through that process from your seat, what were the things that you were trying to protect? Where were the baselines for you? And, you know, we, we still don't 100% know what kind of Olympics it's going to be on the ground, but working with your partners, what have you been trying to say? Okay, well, we will deliver this for you to make sure that you're getting the proper benefit uh, of of the the agreements that you paid for. Well, well, firstly, I think you have to understand that when 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 um, I'm particularly on a global level, and here I'm talking about the top program, our our, our global uh, partnership agreement, and these are long term deals that. Um, grant uh, Olympic IP and, and uh, you know, the use of that IP goes beyond a specific games, you know, so, um, um, so there is that sort of longevity there. But talking specifically about the games, really, the first thing was the integrity of the product, if I can put it that way. So we wanted a, an Olympic games that would still be recognizable and identifiable as a real Olympic games. Mm-hmm. So all the sports, uh, all the athletes, all the disciplines, you know, as a, as a as a whole uh, sporting event. Um, after that, I mean, everything depends really on um, on the direction given ultimately by the uh, you know the country authorities, the government, in terms of what's uh, able to be organised uh, safely and securely. I mean, so you have um, 
clearly you have uh, discussions and decisions around uh, spectators, number of spectators. And then outside of the, 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 the sports venues, if you like, where, where, you know, usually you have a lot of, you know, if you're talking about the, 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 the sponsors, the partners, but, it, but in, in general terms, in terms of engagement with, uh, with the, the population, you have a lot of live sites, you have a lot of um, showcasing, you have a lot of different types of cultural um, um, activities, which, which all forms part of the, the games experience. And in, in those areas, we've tried as much as we can to maintain, if you like, the core of it. But of course, some of it has had to, um, has had to be either scaled down or even uh, cancelled uh, due to, the, um, due to the, 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 the countermeasure planning. And will there be, are there allowances? I know some, some partners will be um, coming out of rotation after, after these games, but will there be allowances made to restore some of that value further down the line? Well, look, I mean, I, I, you know, the way we look at it is that um, there will still be, and we firmly believe that the, the games will be a, I hope, a, a, a big milestone for the world at large um, to show, if you like, a, a new sense of optimism, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, if you like, as, as hopefully the world emerges from, uh, from the pandemic. So hopefully the Olympic Games will play their part in uh, bringing a bit of uh, sunshine and, and, and optimism um, and, and, and a smile to, 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 to people's um, faces. So if you look at it in those terms, we still expect a large part of the world's population to engage in some way with the Games. Um, and ultimately, um, that to be translated into a marketing platform for the, um, for the partners will be hopefully, and I, we expect, massive. So it'll, it'll, it'll carry a lot of... Um, a lot of value for them, you know. Yes, it's true to say that you know, depending on how um, how the next few weeks and months go, the on-site activities may have to be curtailed somewhat. But bigger picture, you know, the um, the impact of the the Olympic Games on uh, on people, uh, if you like, outside just the uh, the host city of Tokyo, uh, we do expect to be uh, absolutely significant. Mm. What's the last year? taught you about um about your own operations about the extent to which you work kind of an, as, a, as a client management um operation the extent to which the balance between the day-to-day service of, of some of these partnerships and the longer term strategic picture protecting the financial health of of the olympic movement etc what what have you learned about that in the last year how has it changed your thinking well look at it i, I... I don't uh, necessarily uh, think it's changed our thinking. I mean, we, in any case, you know, you have to be doing two things at once. You have to be looking at the everyday, the operational, the short term, make sure that um, you're delivering, hopefully overly delivering on clients whilst you're, you're, you're strategizing and creating the uh, circumstances for a successful future. Um, and in fact, um, just yesterday, I mean, coincidentally, we had our annual um, sponsor meeting, we call it top leadership group, and um, we we very um, consciously um, and these were, by the way, obviously these were were digital, you know, were virtual meetings, so we had to do two two four hour blocks, one for the uh, European and Asian time zone, the other one for the North American time zone, 
And we very consciously focus firstly on the here and now, which is Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. Mm -hmm. But then we move the discussion um, to more strategic elements, more developmental things that things that um, just to remind people that, uh, you know, this is something that we're thinking about every day and we are continuing to um, to aim or have the objective of growing value for for our partners. So I don't think it really changes the 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 means of engagement, as we've all discovered, as we're discovering between the conversation that we're having now, is slightly different to, to the way it would have been uh, just over a year ago. But I have to say, I mean, you know, you, I, I, one thing that um, has, I suppose, the learning for all of us, and this is, um, you know, this is nothing new. I think everyone's experienced this, how good the technology has been on the one hand, but obviously it just does not it does not compensate for real human uh, uh, contact. Mm. And so, you know, going forwards, of course, I think everyone is yearning. And, and, and this is part and parcel, I think, of a successful engagement and client servicing and, and all the rest that you need to do at human in, interactive level, pro- professionally or personally. You need to be in, in uh, you know, physical contact with people, supplemented where appropriate by technology. Yeah, and I suppose that will be... One of the themes we hope of, of Tokyo is, uh, you know, and we hope it will be as extensive an event as it can be. But let's us move on to the, the longer term strategic picture as well. The, you know, the, the last 18 months have been about uncertainty, but you have an unusual amount of certainty when it comes to the next decade in the Olympic movement, because, you know, you have um, Olympic hosts now confirmed until 2028. Um, you will be very careful to tell me I'm sure that the host for 2032 has not been confirmed but you have a a preferred uh candidate for that um for that event what does that do to the shape of your commercial project and your commercial thinking when you know that far in advance where you're working the kind of markets you're going to be working in and perhaps what some of your priorities are going to be in those places yeah no I mean I, I think um, you, you've almost made the point in the, in, in the question but I mean of course, it delivers us. It delivers us um, a, a roadmap, and I think you know along on that with with certainty, and people can uh, uh, know what's uh, what's going to be happening. So on the one hand, uh, it allows us, and this is at different speeds because obviously LA, although actually they're going very fast, is at a different speed to Milano, Cortina, different speed to to Paris, to to Beijing, just because of the where they are on the. Uh, on their journeys, um, so it, it allows us to, and importantly, th- think long term, because a lot of our um, our engagements. I mean, we have long term uh, partnership agreements. You know, we have sponsorship agreements as well as broadcast agreements to, through 2032. And typically, when we enter into uh, uh, the, the journey with an organising committee, it's a seven year journey. Obviously, slightly different for, for LA. Then we've locked in the promises and obligations. So there's always an element of when we want to, you know, create new things, uh, new directions, uh, new opportunities that you do have to think long term. So it helps on the one hand that you have a a level of certainty. It also helps that you have people who are um, inhabiting the uh, the organizing committee because, you know, don't we don't underestimate. In fact, they that they provide a lot of energy ideas a new context for um, for some of the stuff that we want to do. I mean, so it, it ends up often being a, a 
a sort of co-creation, a collaboration of ideas as we go along. And, and that sort of really characterizes the, um, the, the if you like, the, the journey between us and, and uh, each um, um, organizer of the games. One of the things that's interesting about the next two summer games is that you have two big commercial centers, two big business centers, but with very different cultures in their own way. What what kind of effect does that have? You know, because you're you're looking at things from a global level. Obviously, they're going to have they've got local sponsorships to sell, and they've got local sponsors and and local media partners to think about. But you know, how how does that affect the conversations that you you have with the partners that that are with you all the way through that eight year period? Well, look, I think it's like any other market opportunity. I mean, firstly. Um, um, I mean, maybe not so much, I mean, for broadcasters. I mean, broadcasters, obviously, they tend to look more at the time zones and the sports program and so forth. But if you're looking at uh, sponsors who then want to be maximizing the uh, the opportunity um, in market, in, in, in the host country or the host city, um, then that often depends on how important it is for their business. Uh, in terms of, if you like, the rights superstructure, I mean, generally, you know, the, the rights they get in one place and another place are the same. But the way that they would operate it depends a, a lot on the context. I mean, it depends on their own business context. Is it an important market for them? Is it a developmental market for them or, or, or whatever the case may be? And um, and and then you've got the context. You've You've You've, you've obviously got context that from uh, everything from political to economic to social, and it depends how they want to um, to make use of that. Um, uh, and, and, and then I would also say it depends very much what the, um, uh, if you like, the government relations are, how, how, a, how a corporation would, uh, one of the sponsors would look at. Uh, I mean, they may have manufacturing plants in, in, in the country. They may be doing a lot of R&D in that country. I'm thinking here. I mean, just as an example that comes to mind is Toyota in uh, in in China. You know, I mean, there's a there's a real drive towards um, uh, getting away from the uh, you know combustion engine, um, uh, you know, petrol uh, powered cars, and all sorts of developments going on. So, so there's there's a lot of different um, activities, and so the the context for a, for a, for a sponsor really drives a lot of the opportunity, whereas the if you like the framework of rights tends to be relatively uh, the same. And of course, there's a lot of customization that may be done on the ground, depending on uh, you know, what conversations happen with, with the organizing committees. Mm. With all that in mind, at what point do you and your partners start thinking about specific games? You know, Because LA is se- seven years away at the moment. Yeah. We don't really know, although I'm sure some very smart people will be anticipating some of these things, but we don't really know quite what patterns media consumption will have we don't really know quite how um you know what what patterns just general consumer behavior will have do you have that marked into your into your planning that okay we will start thinking about la in uh you know 18 months before once we've got the previous winter games out the way or do you think we need to start having some very big ideas now about what the uh what the picture could be by that time yeah. Well, look, I mean, if, 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 if LA had followed a normal course, you know, let's say that the, you know, the, 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 the timing pattern from the past, they would have been quote unquote voted in 
this year. So you'd be expecting to go up to the IOC session perhaps in, in summer just before Tokyo, and they may have been voted in. And then they would begin their journey and they would sort of become active from a, from, particularly from a marketing perspective in uh, 2023. But they're four years uh, in advance of that. So they're a bit of a one-off. I mean, may not be a one-off, maybe replicated in the future, who knows? But right now they're, they're a one-off. So the, the usual pattern is, is that we, so the IOC and particularly the marketing piece tends to be one of the first things that um, you know, becomes a priority. So in typically an organizing committee will take sort of you know, six months to a year to get constituted and, and uh, populated with some people who can then speak to us. And then we start the marketing development. So after about a year and a half, the, the, the marketing rights come to the organizing committee. So they, they swallow up the local team rights. So it's no longer the National Olympic Committee uh, that, that handles the team rights. Team rights go to them and they're able to start marketing. And so we have this period of six months plus to, to really help them get their feet on the ground. So broadly speaking, we're, we're on the ground with them to set up the whole thing uh, so that they can then run themselves with their own marketing programs sort of six and a half years out. But for the, for the, for the sponsors, it depends on their business. So you have some that are industrials, and so they want to be selling in solutions. And so they may want to be what we call kind of early integrators. So they may be selling in solutions that would be part of, uh, part of the build out of the game somehow. More typically, uh, where you have uh, more consumer focused partners, they will, they will um, uh, complete one edition of the games. And here, if I'm just talking about the summer games, so think of the same cycle. Uh, for, for the winter games. You finish the summer games and then, then they do a debrief and then sort of three years out, they really start focusing on the next summer games in terms of planning, activation, all those things. But because we've got um, a winter and a summer games uh, sort of staggered, it means that there's a, a little bit of a conveyor belt um, a phenomenon. But uh, so, I mean, that's very, very broadly what it is. But it, again, it varies on the size of the market and on the, on the particular uh, focus or, or not that uh, a sponsor may have. But um, and, and of course, then, you know, you come up to sort of 12 months out and at that, that, that stage, it's, um, you know, that's where the, the activation budgets and all the, um, you know, planning moves into operations, build out and so forth uh, to make sure that uh, everything is then ready for, um, for the month of the games. Mm. So that, I mean, let's look at it. Uh, from the other end, you've got a games that staying on the the plan cycle is is happening in the early part of next year in in Beijing. So what what does the next year look like for you and your partners as far as that goes? Taking into account, obviously, that there's still some COVID measures mm-hmm. to to work around um, when it comes to to certain activities. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, th- I you know, in some ways, it's a, it's 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 an, it's an atypical example because. Um, because COVID has, you know, effectively, obviously, come straight, um, uh, landed on them in, in in 2020, and is still, you know, a, a big factor. And in fact, you know, the games will be organised under a, a set of COVID countermeasures. I mean, that's the planning. Uh, you know, if things are better, they can be lifted. But but all the planning is based on being able to again. I mean, very much like Tokyo, deliver a, a safe and secure game. So because of that, uh, and and 
you know, there's really been two effects. And on the one hand, operationally speaking, it's been impossible for um, for for people from outside China to get into the country or, or very, very limited under restrictive circumstances. So that has meant that we've had to really rejig the operational plan. I mean, some things you can't put off, other things you may be able to put off. Obviously, it may re- raise the... Um, the operational risk somewhat, but you may need a level of expertise that has to come from an entity outside the host country to be able to make sure that it's uh, you know being done properly. So there's a whole lot of uh, rejigging on that. I mean that being said, you know the, the the Beijing Organizing Committee is you know is continuing to work very very strictly and well to the plan, but it's just the reality that uh, you know that that there's a lot of expert uh, knowledge that needs to be applied Mm -hmm. in terms of um, some of the uh, again if i can go on the client groups and particularly our our, our sponsors that they've been unable or there's been a a much more challenging um, uh, process to 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 look at their for example their hospitality or their on-site activation uh, programs just again because they haven't been able to access the country or it's been more difficult for their local teams and so ticketing programs have been delayed um you know by about six months um and uh, so there's there's various sort of operational impacts that basically we have to do in a tighter um a shorter time frame and and in order to make it uh, make everything happen mm. there's a political dimension as well to the beijing games which um you know has has been developing over the last 18 months or so with the, the complaints around the government's human rights record and the fact that you now have international governments using the games as a platform to to register their protest about that or using it as the context to to register their protest about that what impact does that have on your next your the, the year building up to the games well look i i, I mean in, in some ways um it, it has no impact in other ways it, it does but the reality is our position has always been clear you know that the the the, the, the games um, are politically neutral. Um, we've actually got the um, uh, clear backing of, uh, of United Nations resolution that the you know the countries, the political states want to keep it that way. But that doesn't obviously, and we totally understand, doesn't stop um, interested groups from uh, wanting to use uh, or, or want to use the games for their own uh, means, and doesn't necessarily mean that we we agree with everything that. Um, you know the host countries uh, government may, may be doing, and obviously we we don't we don't live in a bubble in that sense, and we're, we, um, uh, we 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 know what's going on. But uh, as much as possible, we try and engage with interested groups, but we also make them uh, um, aware of what our particular stance is and what what we're we're trying to deliver, and and also just as much what we can't what we can't do. I mean, we're not a um, you know, a super government that uh, that can uh, uh, do things that um, you know the uh, the member states of the United Nations uh, can do. So, as I said, we fo- we we continue to be fixed on our uh, on our uh, on our mission, which is to um, provide a um, an environment for the uh, for the you know athletes of the world to unite in peaceful competition, and uh, you know faithful to to our mission of um, trying to contribute to sport, um, you know, helping the world become a, a, a better place and help people. But the context is always, um, is always different. And I mean, if you look at, um, you know, 
previous games. Obviously, you know the context always changes, but but um, but it's um, at the end of the day we have to stay true to our um, our mission, our values, because um, you know you you you, you either choose the Olympic Games to be politically neutral, apolitical, or it becomes a political football from which, uh, you know, it would be difficult to, uh, to, to, to imagine um, the games being staged or perceived in the same way. Hello, this is Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm trying to find out how businesses can best make their way through these extraordinary times. So together with SportsPro and with leaders from inside and outside sport, I've created the Playbook series. It's the place to go for agenda-free, pragmatic advice to navigate your organisation through change. Catch up on our library of articles and podcasts and learn more about how our new Labs programme can help you succeed. Head to sportspromedia.com playbook to find out more. Um, we've we've talked a bit about individual events and and the kind of event part of of the piece. I want to try and see if we can look at the through line a little bit more when it comes to the Olympic, uh, the, the commercial project at the IOC. We've seen in the last decade kind of a regeneration of the the top cohort, the the kinds of brands that are involved in there. Obviously, you still have your Coca Colas who've been involved uh, for decades and decades. But, you know, we've seen much more digitally focused sponsors come in, the likes of Alibaba and Airbnb, uh, Intel. How intentional has that been and how much is that a reflection just of who is in the market um, buying sponsorship at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, firstly, yes, I mean, we as the IOC, as 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 the leader of the, uh, you know, the Olympic movement with 206 NOCs, um, um, you know, a, a lot of international federations, organizing committees, we, we want to stay relevant. And so we do want to be attractive to all sorts of, um, you know, corporate enterprises. Um, so we've driven, you know, new themes that we can talk about uh, very hard, including digital. So on, I think on the one hand, it's, I, I think, testament to the fact that the Olympic Games as a as a sponsorship property, as a as a uh, as an important um, human event, continues, and I, I hope continues to grow in relevance. That we're getting companies that uh, you know may only have been born just over ten years ago or twenty years ago, may have a a very youthful uh, user base and see us as being very relevant to help drive their business. So that's great. I mean, whether this is um, you know, and, and there's you know, there's a part of, you know, the the consumer element, and there's also part of um, kind of digital transformation at large of of rendering large organization events uh, digitally transformed, which um, um, you know, which, which are both important to us. But by the same token, I think there's a sort of general. I mean, digitization is one of the macro trends. I mean, quite obviously, of the last uh, of, of this century, um, and so, I mean, you mentioned Coca-Cola. I mean, it's 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 also interesting that two other companies, apart from Coke, Procter and Gamble and Allianz, were founded before the modern Olympic movement, but also part of the program 
and are also driving new themes such as dig digitization um, um, and uh, so interaction with their consumer bases and also their organizations, digital transformation very, very hard and wanting to use the Olympic uh, uh, sponsorship structure as a catalyst for, the, for these objectives. Mm. Yeah, and it, it strikes me as well that one of the things that seems to be happening with Olympic sponsorship is in, in some cases you're, you're providing a showcase for brands to demonstrate their capabilities. So Airbnb is an incredibly obvious one for people who are traveling to the games, but you know Alibaba providing uh, cloud computing support to to deliver the games and and all of that type of thing. Does is that also a response to to the way that that marketing and the way that sponsorship uh, has to work in twenty twenty one? Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. I mean, I think you know sponsorship. I mean, particularly for for um, in in our case, I mean, we we provide no uh, you know visibility through uh, perimeter boards or or, or the like. Um, I mean, the story that, um, or the many stories that the the, the 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 top partners, the sponsors can tell from being involved with us, um, come out of various different different elements that are associated with us. So, I mean, for example, um, it could be that they are doing something to to help us organise the games, without which the games would not be able to be organised. And there's different levels. I mean, there's there's a, there's a B2B level at us in terms of system integration, which is very much back end. But I mean, it's something that they showcase to to all their their, their clients uh, on a B2B level. Um, I mean, Alibaba, you mentioned them. They're actually provide, creating and providing the, the ticketing system, which for the first time will be a paperless ticketing system for the Beijing Games. Coca-Cola does what it does best. It's uh, the food and beverage concessions, ultimately refreshments. So there's there are various different ways that we're doing that, and um, and that that you know frankly is something that we we want to continue to to develop because those are basically, if you like, the the testimonials, the real life testimonials that provide so much value for the partners to be able to say, I did this for the Olympic Games, therefore I can do it for you. Mm. Uh, or my product was chosen for this, therefore it, you know it is it, it is good for you. And 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 there's there's a lot of those that can be organisational. It can be um, it can be uh, uh, promotional, inspirational. So another example that we we created a, a few games ago is to give all the um, athletes Samsung smartphones for the uh, for the opening ceremony, so they can capture uh, moments for that. So there's there's different ways that we can. Um, Integrate is the is the is the term and art uh, the term and art that we use, um, and we continue to work on this because this is the real value that um, that partners receive ultimately, or, or a big part of the value that they, they they get because they're able to show that their products, their services, their know how is somehow involved in in powering facilitating the Olympic Games. Hmm. Obviously, there's always going to be a peak in interest commercially around the Olympics when the games happen. That's that's just inevitable, and and you see it not just in terms of of consumer interest, but you look at the numbers that NBC has done in in selling advertising and so on. Um, but what are what are some of the things that you can do to keep those partnerships relevant between games and between? You know, I know that you have you have a biennial cycle. You also now have the 
um, the Youth Olympic Games as well. But what are what are some of the other ways that that you kind of perpetuate uh, that relevance and, and perpetuate the, um, the the association that these brands have with the games? No, it's a it's a good question, and uh, you're right. I mean, you know, the, the the Olympic Games is two weeks every two years or four years, depending if you if you're in a non-snow country. And it's important to to um, to maintain a, a a momentum there. I mean, if you have a you know you have the um, the football, you have the U.S. Pro Leagues there week in week out. They've got um, they've got their seasons. Uh, actually, with Olympic sports, and we have you know we have thirty three for a summer games. We have seven for the for 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 the winters. I mean, they're actually also um, operating in their seasons, but. I think what the what the the idea here is is that with the Olympic fairy dust, if you like, an Olympic um, um, umbrella or coating, um, it's much easier to maintain and, uh, in fact, engender uh, interest on an ongoing basis in these uh, in these sports. And so, um, you know, a lot of the athlete journeys become much more relevant once you know that they're actually striving. Of course. You know, uh, regional championships, world championships are very important, but ultimately the biggest prize in a lot of these sports is the Olympic Games. So the athlete journey, for example, becomes, uh, you know, a really fascinating uh, 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 way to to uh, to narrate or, or tell stories. So all of this uh, then became uh, bundled up in the idea of which, you know, firstly got uh, uh, bundled up in the idea of the Olympic Channel um, to actually to to um, aggregate all these stories under a, an Olympic wrapper, if you like, as a, as a media platform. And that's been, you know, that's been the way we've been operating uh, last few years with a lot of learnings, and it's become, you know, pretty successful. Um, we've now actually taken the next step here, and we're going to aggregate the, um, the, the organizing committee, so the games, uh, digital platforms, the websites and apps into this. And, um, you know, in a few short weeks, actually, there'll be a there'll be an announcement about this. But I think the point is that we're bringing a lot more scale to this and we'll be, we'll be uh, not only maximizing the audience and the engagement and the experience in the run-up to the games and during the games, which when we'll do big numbers, but we also want to retain and engage as much of that audience in the, in the period in between, which we call kind of the flame-to-flame period. So... Mm. So it's so it's it's part of the uh, the zeitgeist, obviously, these days that um, uh, people uh, have. I mean, not so much they have short attention spans, but there are so many things competing for people's attention. We think the Olympic, um, the Olympic Games, the Olympic movement, Olympic sports have a great and fantastic story to tell to people, which are very relevant for their lives. And so we want to make sure that those stories are available to them uh, you know 24 by 7 yeah so so that that's that's certainly um and i and, and that's something that we've been encouraged a lot by not you know our part our sponsors but also we've then created emanations of that where you know effectively olympic verticals or ongoing olympic content partnerships uh, usually under the you know the the, the olympic channel brand with the uh, the broadcasters because they've seen value in having um, a uh, an Olympic um, content present day in day out to tell those stories. Mm. I want to get onto the the broadcast landscape in just a sec, but you know you talked a, a fair bit there about athlete stories. Um, one of the one of the, the conversations that happens a lot, one of the debates that's 
that's been raging a lot over the last few years is is rule 40 and i know that kind of sits outside what you're delivering but something that could be challenging this year especially is telling the stories of athletes because there there might be necessarily a little bit more control over movements of media for uh, covid safety reasons and you might see a re- you might see a real demonstration of how powerful it can be to let athletes tell the story from the inside you know the the kind of the, the creator conversation i guess yeah how how are you, how are you going to manage that transition because it, it is complicated when you have um commercial rights involved and you've got the rights of your broadcasters involved and so on how are you going to manage the transition to giving athletes a little bit more freedom to to tell their own stories from within uh within the olympic village and within the arena and and so on i mean firstly the there's been a lot of focus on um on on athletes and um you know we we the mantra and i think it always has been but more more than ever before that you know the ioc is an athlete focused organization so everything we do at the end of the day is one way or the other is to benefit uh, athletes and their and their journeys um so we, i think the, the whole digital environment has helped us really unlock um helping athletes also being able to be part of the story and part of the narrative so um, when we did uh, one year to go to Tokyo last summer, you know, the whole um, uh, uh, creative execution was about athletes working out from home and, 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 doing, and doing what they think and explaining what they're giving an insight into what their lives were like, which was, which was, which was fantastic. The creative that we're, we've, we've created for actually for Beijing for one year, one year to go was also about athletes and their journeys and their motivations. So, the you know i think the reality is is by and large what we're doing and what we will continue to do is to help and give athletes the possibility of creating content of 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 telling their stories of profiling themselves and and ultimately you know down the line this may even well well be in a way that they can uh, they can have some commercial gain for themselves um i mean there's an early example where we did uh, last year um, around about the time of one year to go to Tokyo, of Airbnb experiences where athletes were able to profile themselves and, and you know, effectively uh, um, sell their experiences, which of course couldn't be physical experiences, but were digital ones. So this is just an example of of, of the um, of the of the direction. I think if if you look at it this in broad terms, you say over 365 days, we're going to give more tools more wherewithal for the athletes to be able to 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 interact with the olympic movement and to tell their stories and get that benefit back for them when you then look at the two weeks of the games um, there are still things that we may be able to do but yes okay you have the commercial superstructure you have rule 40 and so forth but i think i think that then comes into 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 a proper context because they will understand that what we're doing is a, we're able to create, uh, we're, we're on the one hand still helping them to, to uh, create and uh, raise their profiles. And on the other hand, we're able to protect the commercial relationships by which this whole machine works. Mm. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing piece of work, but personally, I'm very interested and excited by it because it's opening so many new uh, uh, avenues in terms of uh, you know helping the the, the athletes and, and their journeys and as i said the core of it is not to just focus on 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 the two weeks 
Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with a hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. We, we talked a bit earlier about how much stability you've got in terms of the event program. The other area where you've got a bit of stability is uh, at the very top end of, uh, of, of your broadcast relationships, uh, NBC, which is you know the, the biggest partner of the Olympic movement commercially and um, is signed up until 2032. And then in Europe, you have Discovery is involved with a, for a shorter term, but it, it covers a wider market um than ever before in in that part of the world what what kind of room is there for exploration and experimentation within those partnerships you know as as the as media consumption shifts and as uh, as viewer behavior changes in the next decade yeah no no really good question owen and and by the way we do have long-term relationships in other part of the world in in uh, japan korea Mm. and in brazil we also have agreements going through 2032 and uh but 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 i think Going back to your question, at the end of the day, what we are selling uh, to to NBC and the core of the partnership is an exclusive access to the to the you know the sports content. We can we all see that the the um, the broadcast markets are changing. So yes, we absolutely give flexibility because we, we, you know the broadcaster has to invent new business models. So. You know, somebody likened it to, uh, you know, refueling the plane whilst it's flying. And this is kind of what's happening. And where I think we've seen that with, um, you know, particularly the U.S. example, where I think they say by 2025, it may well be that half the households are not getting their their uh, video content through um, through traditional cable. Um, so, you know, but by, by, through streaming platforms. Uh, you've seen the uh, the recent NFL deal, and particularly the uh, the ABC ESPN deal. But I think all of them have got, take got you know bought rights uh, for 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 their streaming platforms. So in in the Olympic construct, and particularly with NBC, we gave them we we didn't uh, we didn't uh, sell the, or negotiate the deal in a way that was restrictive. It was actually giving them exclusivity which gives them the flexibility then to say, you know, within certain parameters that we, we discuss with them, that we will, we will we'll look to, to broadcast certain content through certain, certain means. Now, the, what will this means in concrete terms is that, you know, linear television will continue to be very important, frankly, is, the, is still the cash cow. But, you know, as, as they've gone along, you know, cable, satellite TV, then you know internet streaming and now of course you know streaming platforms you know they launched uh, peacock in fact they were they were wanting to launch peacock mm. uh just before the olympic games last year tokyo games and they would have would have used the games as a as a driver for for subscribers they weren't able to do that but um you know still they've been pretty successful but peacock will play a will play a, a part in 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 tokyo uh, coverage and so the, the long and the short of it is that we we work with the partners and we provide them a kind of uh, agreement framework whereby they can continually evolve their business model to make sure that it's relevant to to the, to their needs. Mm. I mean, we'd hate to be in a situation where it's so restrictive that it it um, uh, stops working for them. 
I mean, in this case, I think we may be a little bit different to some of the pro leagues who operate on shorter cycles um, because our games are four years apart um, and we have to make commitments on behalf of, uh, you know, to, to uh, fairly early on because we make financial commitments on behalf of the, the various um, stakeholders like the, like the state, uh, the organizers of the games. So the certainty of having long-term partnerships is good. And the quid pro quo of that is that we want to, we want to provide a, 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 a flexible enough framework for a broadcast to be able to evolve its, its transmission means, its way of reaching its audience, and of course, its, uh, its business model. Mm. You've, you've mentioned a few times there the, the framework that you, um, or the terms on which these deals are signed in, from your perspective in, in terms of distribution and, and audience access and stuff. And you, know, you have guidelines on FTA penetration for a, a specific broadcaster, which becomes particularly relevant for, for Discovery and, and companies like that, that that start from a pay TV basis and have to sub-license some part of their rights. How how are you reviewing those at the moment? How often do you review those, and 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 how are you reviewing them to reflect the fact that, for example, younger people are less likely than than previous generations to watch television in the kind of uh, in in the traditional manner? Yeah, oh, it's it's a good question. I mean, so the answer is we continually review them, but uh, you know, if you like, we have we have games that come up every two years, so there's a natural cycle anyway. Mm. We have to. So we have to we have to uh, as much as possible stay on top of it. But it's a it's a continuous process, working with with the with the, the broadcasters. So, um, I mean, you're right. The traditional um, you know policy has been ninety um, percent. Actually, used to be ninety five a few years ago. We reduced it to ninety, but um, um, which was which was more akin to the real world. But ninety percent of of, of uh, household penetration, where we've begun a review to look at how this might look and what what would be appropriate in a more uh, streaming world uh, or in a omni-channel uh, media world. So that that you know that's something that we're looking now, and it won't be something that will change before Tokyo or even Beijing. But um, I think whatever we would expect that the, there'll be a, a kind of a, a revised regime certainly uh, there for for Paris. So so this is you know continually being uh, uh, reviewed. Different parts of the world are operating at different speeds, of course, and so that has to be taken into account. It's not a one-size-fits-all always, although when you do make policy, you want to make sure that it's applicable to everyone and you don't want to have a sort of piecemeal approach. The other side of it is that um, is what we call you know, the, com- the commercial integration. So you know, this is the, the ad space or the broadcast sponsorship space. I mean, that continues to evolve. It evolves as a function of... Uh, consumer habits but but as much as anything the delivery methods and the uh, you know the 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 the, the way that uh, uh, video is being presented and and, and consumed and on what on uh, on what devices so that's another area that we we have this cycle of review to make sure that uh, on the one hand we're supporting you know the rights holders to make sure that they can make their um, their fair return um and on the other hand that uh, we maintain a uh, a sense of proportion to, you know, the the, the commercialization of, of the games coverage. Mm. Okay, I'm conscious that we're we're not just running out of time; we're running over time in terms of what we discussed. But there were a couple of questions I just wanted to ask to finish up. I mean, free of charge. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, yeah, I have no budget, so I hope that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> um, but obviously, 
the streaming services provide enormous opportunity for on-demand content and for storytelling. Um, you know, you have the Olympic Channel that's that's played a role in 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 developing some of that uh, over the last few years. But what um, what's the future for Olympic produced content? What's the future? You know, is there a, is there a future home for Olympic stuff on Netflix, on Amazon Prime? um etc etc are there you know on owned content deals that we're going to see that kind of take the olympic story between games yeah well i mean there's already a you know quite a a flourishing private um you know market uh for for olympic content but um but yes i mean since the the um the on the uh, the beginning of the the Olympic Channel, we've also got much more into that production space. And yes, we were we were focusing on content on our own platforms. But you're right. I think we will we will gradually uh, broaden this and you know do syndication deals as a way to. Um, uh, it, it's not you know we've moved beyond uh, if you like trying to just drive audience for um, for for our own and operated platforms. Of course, that remains very important. But with this scaling that uh, I explained earlier, I think we can, we, we'll, I think we'll look for sort of a, a broader distribution, a third-party distribution, also, you know, for our content. You know, we may look for content partnerships, we may do things uh, ourselves. But at the end of the day, I think what our overall sort of vision and mandate is to make, you know, we we know the the stories of the athletes, the stories behind the, the you know, the, the Olympics are are emotional in you know very engaging and 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 somewhat inspirational and so we want to make sure that we are uh, creating and, and delivering those for for people to consume the way that uh, they'd like to con- consume so this is going to be everything from clips uh, or mobile right through to uh, you know ultimately uh, you know long form so i think i don't think we're boxing ourselves in at all but i, I think you know it's the answer to your question is yes you know, we both on our own platforms and on on our partners and on other third-party platforms, we'd we'd like to um, to investigate that. And you know, there's a there's a there's a lot of opportunity. I think. I suppose the bigger part of that question is the IOC or the Olympic movement has become sorry the IOC has become incredibly effective at packaging up and selling rights over the last uh, where are we 35 years since the the kind of uh, the, the developments of the mid 80s. But people talk more and more now about the value of creating IP and 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 selling and retaining ownership of that IP and and marketing it in that way. For an organisation like the IOC, for a rights holder like the IOC, what how is that picture going to develop? Yeah, it's a good question. And 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 look, I, I think um, I don't think the IOC has been uh, accused of being too fast. Um, you know, but by the same token, I would hope that you know we're not being too slow. So. I think we'll 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 look at all the opportunities that we have for us, but I mean, you know, it, it could be possible. I mean, we've had plenty of uh, proposal in the past to have sort of IP-based series and and so forth, but um, um, and and you know it, they continue to 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 come in. I think at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about trying to create franchises; it's about to tell the, the story in the right way. So, I mean, there's a very flexible approach to that. But at the end of the day, one thing we are concerned with is protecting the integrity of, you know, the people whose stories we're telling. And, of course, our own, our own uh, you know, reputational aspect through, you know, the IP that we represent, the five rings. Mm. And I suppose you've got some time to think about that with the, 
the stability that we talked about with, with your media partnerships and your your commercial partnerships over the next decade. Um, from your personal perspective, you've been with the IOC what 15, 16 years now. What? How much more of the journey do you see yourself taking on? My oh God, that's a that's the toughest question you've asked me. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, I think. <laughs> Um, it's a it's a very good question. I, I I don't know. I mean, at some stage, obviously, everyone has to get off the horse, you know. But um, but let's just put it this way. I mean, uh, the the last year, this year, and I'm sure the next couple of years are are, are are very very interesting, if not challenging. And you know, there there isn't there hasn't been a day where I haven't uh, bounced out of bed and said, okay, bring it on. Uh, it's still motivating me. So as long as that's as long as that's the case. Um, you know, hopefully I'll keep going for a little bit longer. Mm. And what's what's the biggest change that you've seen in the last, uh, in, in the time that you've been in the job you're in? Well, I mean, I, look, um, I, I think the, the, the IOC has modernized a lot. And I think um, in, in some ways it's, I mean, of course, the core is still the same. But in terms of, if you like, the activities, the services, the know-how of the people inside the organization, it's come on leaps and bounds. Um you know, we now have a full marketing department of 50 people. We have, uh, on top of that, we have a, you know, a media capability, you know, beyond the, the, the host broadcaster, OBS, a digital media capability of 120 people. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's sort of massive changes. Um, um, our, our, uh, our ability to, to um, or, or, or let's say the, the, the level of uh, uh, supra-government and intergovernmental um, uh, relationships to drive the the relevance and the importance of sport at a sort of, you know, at a world governmental level is is uh, is is far superior to what it was in the past. So, a lot of these areas were much more systematic, and we put resources in. And I, I think I see that as continuing because it's not just the games that have to remain relevant as a as a as a as a driver of of people choosing sport in this world. It's also the IOC as an organisation, and. You, you you know you you know as well as uh, as me the level of scrutiny that uh, people have particularly young people have on on organisations and perhaps the the absence of trust that has crept in into into our world in terms of you know some of these organisations so it's something that we're really really addressing uh, and and want the the IOC to be uh, not only relevant but um, but respected and fit for purpose as we go forwards. Okay, thanks very much for your time, Timo. Oh, and it's been a great pleasure, and um, and uh, it's nice to speak to you, and uh, all the best for uh, this Olympic year. You too. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.